rose from, again. God, the death could not hold you and that sin could not be you. God, you are worthy of our worship this morning. Regardless of what happens in the world around us, God, you are unchanging. God, we trust in you and we can trust in you. God, we love you. my mask tangled in the earpieces that hold this on. So, no. Hey, Cody. Could you help me untangle myself? Because I can't see what I've done here. But uh, I've tangled the mask. If you don't mind, I don't have COVID that I know of, but we know how good that is. What did you do here? Well, I just had the mask on, and then I put these things up over my ears. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Cody. Let's see. Oh, no. Hey, Cody. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry. Hey, Cody. Um, I have one more problem. I pulled this off. (laughs) I have a little... This is not planned, and thank you. In case you think this is a stand-up comedy routine, this yes, is not. Da, 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 da. You want to take that off now? Oh yeah. Oh. This is this is new. Yeah, I I have technological abilities that. Uh, How'd you do this? Well. There you go. Now, hmm. and yeah. thank you. So, good morning. So, um, I am not uh, picking up in Exodus where um, we are in our series, um, but rather I am uh, going to Romans 4, which I had been looking at this week because our community group with the Gummingers is going through Romans. Um, But I'd like to begin with something interesting that I had heard about and found uh, online. This is from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, uh, which is led by Dr. George Barna. And uh, it came out uh, in August. 
So, a near majority of Americans that were surveyed um, believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good things during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. And this belief is shared by 70% of Catholics, 46% of Pentecostals, 44% of mainline Protestants, and 41% of evangelicals. Well, what, what, after all, could be more reasonable? I mean, think about it. So, is Hitler going to go to heaven? No. No, he's not going to heaven. Is the person that you voted against in the election, whoever that may be, is that person going to heaven? I don't know. Probably, maybe not. Don't know. Is your next door neighbor going to heaven? Well, I have to tell you which one I mean. The ones on the one side that are really nice to you or the ones on the other side that let their dogs bark all night. Um, but anyway, you get the idea. And are you going? Well, hopefully. I mean, you seem like pretty nice people. And that belief that if we do good things, if we are good people, we will go to heaven, is remarkably persistent and almost universal. As far as I know, every religion except Christianity teaches that in some form, whether they would say that up front or whether that's kind of running along underneath, but that's a very, very common thing. And of course, you don't have to be religious at all uh, to believe that. I suppose if, if you weren't religious at all, you wouldn't say you'd go to heaven, but you would say, you know, what makes the difference in all things is, you know, good people. We want to be good people. We are good people. They're not so good. That's the way it works. That is not, um, not Paul's perspective, not God's perspective, as we shall see in Romans 4. Um, I'm going to just read this in sections as we go through it, but I'll say, uh, you know, Paul is writing to a group of Christians at Rome, um, at least most of whom he has never met. He might have met a few of them or not, don't know. Um, and this group of Christians in Rome um, is composed of some Jewish believers who have become followers of the Messiah, Jesus, and, it, and some um, Gentiles, some Romans, um, who uh, have become followers of Jesus. So the, um, so the, the Jewish part of the audience would be very familiar with Abraham and the things that the Old Testament said about him. And probably the, um, the Roman Christians there would be familiar with him as well because he's an integral part of the, Christ, the whole Christian message. I mean, Jesus pointed to Abraham um, and uh, 
um, and denied that those he was debating with were necessarily Abraham's children, which they considered themselves. So, Paul is teaching, I want you to see in Romans 4, that we are justified by trust in Jesus Christ and not by doing good. He gives three reasons for this. Let's take a look at the first one in verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the NIV. What shall we say then that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man Lord will never count against him. So in this section, Paul is saying, Abraham was justified by faith, not good deeds. And he goes to an example. He shows a specific place that we can see this. Um, In Genesis 15, when God is promising Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to have a son, and this son is going to lead on to a series of descendants. And there'll be, there'll be so many of them that they'll be just like the stars in the sky. And it says in Genesis, and Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, so Paul says, now he has already taught, by the way, in the first three chapters of Roman, Romans, he has taught the universal sinfulness of human beings that we are all, and the two groups he was talking to, whether they knew the law, whether they considered themselves under the law, or whether they didn't, that we are all sinners before God. We all rebel. We all shake our fist in his face. Some do it very quietly. Some do it very loudly. It doesn't make any difference. That's what we do. Um, He's already taught that, and he's already said at the end of Romans 3 that there is salvation available. Even though we are much worse than we would like to believe, There is salvation available in Jesus Christ for those who believe. There's a righteousness that God gives to people who believe. But he evidently believes that his audience may not be convinced. And so he says, well, what should we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Now, Abraham was the guy. He's the forefather of the Jewish people and They would very much look up to him, and so this should be an attention-getter for them, saying, what did Abraham learn? 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So there's nothing in Genesis that said Abraham did everything right. And so God punched his ticket that he was good with God and good in his relationship with God. On the contrary, that he believed God and God gave him a credit. Like a, it's like a, a banking transaction. God credited righteousness to Abraham, even though Abraham really wasn't righteous. So what did Abraham believe, though? He, he believed this promise that he was going to have a son. Um, but if you're one of the... Uh, People hearing this letter read in Rome, you might go, well, but that's not what we're asked to believe. We, we believe in Jesus. What is, I mean, Abraham believed this thing God said to him, and that was counted as righteousness. Well, does that have anything to do with us? And yes, it, it does, because that promise that Abraham believed in was the was one in a string of promises that lead right down to Jesus Christ. Now, Abraham didn't know Jesus' name, and he didn't understand all about the gospel. But that promise, the first promise, is back in Genesis 3, that there's going to be, um, there's going to be a human being, seed of the woman, who's going to crush the serpent's head, and they come right on, right on through the Old Testament right down to Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is very willing to look very closely at the Bible and to reason from what he sees. And we should be too. And we can check our reasoning because if our line of reasoning leads us to something that other passages of Scripture clearly say is wrong, we're probably not reasoning very well. But we can look at the Scriptures and look at their implications. And he does. He says it was credited to him. So Paul says, well, when you get a paycheck for your work, that is not a gift. That's because you did your work and you were supposed to get paid. And you might say thank you to your boss when you get paid, but it's not a gift. It's what you've earned. But if you get a gift... If you get to grandma's house for Christmas um, with COVID um, and you get a present, you didn't earn that. You don't know what's in it. You open it up and it's yours. Um, So that was the circumstance Paul is indicating in verses 4 and 5. And then he alludes to David, another huge, larger-than-life person in Jewish history, and says, well, that's what David said, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It's how God's going to count it. It's no question that David's a sinner. He knows he's a sinner, and if we've read the Old Testament, we know he was a sinner. And he's not saying my good deeds are going to outweigh the bad, I hope, when we get up there and weigh them out. He's saying God has put a credit in my bank account 
for righteousness. He took away the sin and he knows something, but not nearly as much as we do about how that happens. He took away the sin and he handed me a credit that says, you are righteous. I'm counting you righteous. So then, in verses 9 through 12, Paul goes on very similarly to say, Abraham was justified by faith and not by being religious. Is this blessedness, verse 9, only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So circumcision was this core ritual in Judaism that, um, that marked specifically male Jewish people, um, but also in a sense marked the whole community of God's people as God's people. And this had become a bigger and bigger thing in the minds of the Jewish people. So they might say, look, I am one of God's chosen people and I've been circumcised. You know, Paul, in recounting what was to his credit under Judaism, says circumcised on the eighth day, just according to the rules. And that means I'm okay with God. Now, nobody, no one in this room would say that. But maybe someone in this room would say or feel in their heart, well, I I go to church. I'm a good person. I was baptized. I'm a good person. I I give to the poor. I'm a good person. Well, Glad you're a good person in those senses. But if you really feel like you're a good enough person to get into heaven, I challenge you to read the first three chapters of Romans and see how Paul depicts all of us, including himself. We're not that great people, are we really? I mean, if you put us up besides the Ten Commandments and go down and walk through them, well, just take the first one, do we, that Mike talked about a few weeks ago. Um, Do we actually love God with everything we have all the time? Every waking minute, God is first? That might be our goal, but. who can say they do that all the time? If, if you're not doing that, you're breaking the first commandment. And if you look through the others, it's a pretty tough list. But Abraham was not justified for his religious behavior because Paul goes back to Genesis and traces it through. 
he didn't get credited for his faith after he was circumcised. He got credited before he was circumcised. So therefore, his religiosity, though it was good, didn't have anything to do with his being justified before God. And justified means made righteous. He was made righteous and declared righteous before God, not on the basis of his religion. And then Paul gives one more argument in verses 13 through 15. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, Paul says, Abraham was justified by faith, not by obedience to the law. Now, the law was also huge, huge in the Jewish world. And in a different way, it's huge in all of our hearts because we all have internalized a set of rules that we believe are important. And when somebody breaks one of those rules, especially if it affects us adversely, when somebody breaks one of those rules, we're like, that is bad. And we don't ever break them. Well, well, we don't often break them. (laughs) Well, we don't break them all the time. Uh, when we're asleep? Well, um, so it doesn't look like that would be too helpful. And in fact, Paul says, the law brings wrath. So while it is possible to sin without knowing the law, and the people who lived from Adam to the time of Moses did sin without knowing the law, but when you have God's law, And it says, you shall not steal. And that includes lots of forms of things that we don't think about, like not giving our employer a full day's work for a full day's pay. Or any of the commandments, when we have that commandment, then we are more aware when we step across that line that we are in direct violation of what God has said. And that, Scripture calls, a transgression. That's a kind of sin that's specifically violating the law. And we know that's wrong. And God judges us more harshly. I don't mean that he's unfair, but he judges us harder when we violate the law that we know than when we sin unknowingly, which we also do. The law brings wrath. The law is not going to bring anybody salvation. So again, um, there's, there's none of us here that would claim, well, we've obeyed the 600 and however many laws in the Old Testament, and therefore we're righteous. But... 
we would say that, well, well we've, well, I, I haven't. And then we fill in the blank with whatever we haven't done. Have you ever noticed that the most important laws are the ones that you keep? They're the really important laws. Like, if you have not killed anyone, that's a really big command. And you, I, I have never killed anybody. And if you recycle, that's a really big command. Well, it's not in the Bible, but it's a really big command. And you keep it. Whatever it is in your mind and heart, those really big things, but what about all the rest? What about all the ones that we know we don't keep? As the confession says, all the things that we have done that we know we should not have done and all the things we have not done that we know we should have done. What remedy is there for that? And Paul says there's no remedy in the law. So now he comes to a fairly long conclusion. And the first part of the conclusion is it's by faith, so it may be by grace. Verses 16 and 17, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So God has offered salvation through faith, not because faith is some kind of virtue or good work that we stir up and do. And actually, the Bible says that he gives faith. So if you have faith today, you have faith because God gave it to you. And you say, well, I chose Jesus. Absolutely, you did. But God gave you that faith. Both sides are real, human responsibility, but also God's gift. And so God gives us grace, and faith is the way we receive it. Faith is, I think Mike said, Mike said open hands, open hands, just taking whatever God puts in them. Somebody said that recently, and that's true. That's what it is. It's open hands receiving what God gives us. So faith means that it's grace. If it was through the law, it couldn't be a gracious process. The law is the soul that sins will die. And that, that gets us all. And in fact, at the end of verse 17, he mentions that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. Now, in the specific context of Abraham, that meant that even though Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead for bearing children, because they were 190, respectively, that Abraham believed that God could give them a son and, and call to life what was dead, and that he could make what was not to be true. But 
that is also very applicable to us as believers today because spiritually, the Bible tells us, we're dead. We come into this world dead. We're not dead physically. We're very much alive, although they say that when we're born, we start dying. Um, and I can testify after 62 years, you may feel like you've, you've done the whole thing. But... Um, I can see most of you are not 62. Um, But God is able to take a spiritually dead person. That's what we are. We are just as dead to God when we come into this world. Doesn't mean we might not hear about God. Doesn't mean we might not believe some things about God. But our spirit is not alive and connected to God. And God can give life to us who are dead through his son, Jesus Christ. So he expands on this in verses 18 to 22. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness, because he had faith. Now, you might notice there that Paul says that Abraham did not waver in his faith. And some of you who have read Genesis will say, well, uh, I know Paul knew his Old Testament, but um, Abraham did seem to have some faith problems, you know. He he didn't trust God enough to protect him uh, when he and Sarah would visit foreign people Leaders, and so he would lie and say she was his sister. Well, she was his half sister, but he'd lie about it, and um, so that doesn't seem like he had a whole lot of faith. And then uh, he and Sarah they cooked up this scheme that um, Abraham would have a son by his handmaiden Hagar, which wasn't what God had meant or intended, and um, that they had Ishmael. But Ishmael wasn't the son of promise. Um, that doesn't seem like a great deal of faith. And so, so uh, what does Paul mean Abraham didn't waver in his faith? I think what he means, and we know Paul was an Old Testament scholar, um, I, I think what he means basically was that Abraham, though he walked through life And it wasn't always easy to trust God. And he didn't always make choices or in the moment trust God fully in a situation. But he kept following God. When he fell down, he got up. And his overall direction was he followed God. He believed that God would do what he had said. God had said he was going to give him a son and he believed though at times he doubted. 
And the same thing is true for believers in Jesus Christ today. I, I doubt, no pun intended, I doubt that there is any believer in Jesus who has never had any doubts. And I don't think Paul is really saying that Abraham never had any. But he did not turn away from God in unbelief and walk off somewhere else. So, um, he was a man of faith, even though he had struggles and he wasn't perfect. And then... It is by grace through faith for us, verses 23 to 25. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So, Paul says, not just for Abraham. The reason I've been telling you all this isn't just uh, I like to tell about Abraham. This is true for us too. But our primary thing that where we put our faith is not primarily that Abraham was going to have a son. We know that God did fulfill that as he had said that he would. But our faith is in the one that God had promised ultimately to Abraham, the seed of the woman who would defeat sin and Satan and death, Jesus Christ. We know that now the gospel is unfolded more, and we know that that is who we believe in. He was delivered to death for our sins. So again, if we think we could make it by being good, do you think God would give his son and let his son suffer the cross if we could make it by being good? I don't think so. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And though that is, in one sense, it was the most horrible thing ever done, but it's the best news ever because you and I can't atone for our sins. We I don't think if we could see it all clearly as God does, we'd say, I'm not sure I can get through today without some kind of sin in thought, word, or deed. Christ was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. He didn't stay dead, but he was raised to life and God was vindicated and it was shown that the gospel was, that Jesus had told was true. And he had said he was going to rise from the dead and that would give them a sign. And his death and resurrection together are the basis for the gift of righteousness and the gift of life. Because God does not just, when you become a Christian, and I am very thankful for this, God doesn't just erase the slate and give us a clean slate. That's what's, how some people might describe it. Well, he gives you a clean slate. That's not good. I mean, that's good. I'd like to have a, uh, Leah, I'll take a clean slate. But how long before I'm going to get that clean slate dirty? How long before there's going to be a whole list of things there against me? No, he didn't just give us a clean slate. He took our sins, 
put them on Jesus and took Jesus' righteousness and put it on us, our account, and took Jesus' life and put it in us so we could live. So, if today you are here and you know Jesus Christ and you have put your trust in him, Be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. If you've been discouraged lately because of your struggles with sin, yes, fight. Yes, get some prayer. Yes, talk with a brother or sister. But don't be discouraged about your salvation because your salvation is not based on your works. Your salvation is based on the Lord Jesus Christ whose sins, who, took, who had no sins, who, who your sins and my sins were placed on him and his righteousness was put in our bank account before God so that we are counted righteous. And if you are someone, whether you've professed to be a Christian or not, If your real thing, your real way of living is, I'm going to be good and God is going to let me into heaven. I urge you today, let go of that. That thing will not hold. That is like, that's like, you know, one of these tightropers who walks across Niagara Falls or some kind of chasm or something, and they ask you if you if you do that, and most of us, I think, would be wise enough to say, no, I don't want to walk across there. But suppose that they also show you that they've got the rope and they've cut everything except one thread. And you're like, eh, I don't think I want to put my weight down on that. That thing is useless. It is totally and utterly useless. And even if you, as a believer in Jesus, if you're kind of daily sliding back into the mindset of saying, check marks, had my quiet time today, went to community group, Uh, let's see, I'm doing pretty good right now, God's okay with me. Well, those are good things to do, but that's not why God's okay with you. He's okay with you because of Jesus if you put your trust in him. So, wherever you are today, I urge you, put your whole faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was raised from the grave for our justification. Join me while I pray. Lord, we thank you for this magnificent gospel. Please take anything that I have said that has been confusing away and just let those things drop off. And take this word from Romans 4 about faith and grace and your son and believing in him and make it active in every heart in this room. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?
Thank mm-hmm. you.